Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life and Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Demi. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, the one and only, Anthony Denmark, Denmark's Like the Country. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans of all ages, we have 148 days until kickoff. And I don't know about you guys, but I, for one, am excited. Because we know that with each passing day, with each passing hour, with each passing second, we could be able to live and enjoy the moment of the year that means oh so much to us, that we truly don't really, really appreciate how much it means to us until those days are gone. So 148 days until the main course. On tonight's show, we have a lot of things on tap. I'm excited. As usual, of course, we will have a guest on. Of course, right now, all those stadiums are empty all across the country. No tailgating going on right now. You you may get a a ticket for trespassing if you try to tailgate right now. But we do know that there are practices going on all around the country. We do know that coaches are visiting their competitors, trying to find out what they need to do to improve, what they need to do to get better, what they need to do to save their damn jobs. So that practice is not a popular thing, at least in the eyes of Allen Iverson. Nevertheless, we do know that right now practice is where championships are ultimately won. We do know that at this particular point right now, practice does make perfect. Practice does allow you to move quicker, move faster, more effectively, and also reduce the likelihood of you making a mistake when the games actually count. So right now, we are going to talk. Franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. But in addition to talking about practice, also on today's show, we want to talk specific success because I think ultimately that ultimately is what truly defines the expectations or the realistic expectations for your program. Because in hindsight, everybody can't sign the five stars, but you know what? Despite your inability to sign those five stars, despite your inability to be able to get those Gatorade players of the year in your perspective state, the expectation still remains the same. You're supposed to win. You're getting paid. 
you're supposed to produce. You have fans in the stadium. You have boosters giving money to the program. You're supposed to win. But how you go about winning is different for every program across the country. You can't go about winning the Alabama, the Ohio State, the Florida State, the USC way just everywhere. You can't do that. Every program is different. Every program is unique. And despite you being unique and different, you still have to produce. So tonight's show, I want to talk specifically about a program that seems to have always found a way to win. No five stars, no four stars, no problem. They still win. And they are continuing to produce players at a high level who thrive in the program, who also then go on to the pros and thrive. Well, you know, minus Monte Ball, of course, the former Wisconsin running back who recently admitted that, uh, you know, his struggles with alcohol was likely the reason why he is no longer in the league. But that, besides that being the exception, the Wisconsin Badgers, y'all, they entered to the 2017 season with a 100-year anniversary for Camp Randall. 100-year anniversary for Camp Randall is this year. It's awesome. So we're going to be talking about Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about how they are improving uh, this spring. We want to talk about to lose players who may come into the program as three-star, undersized, underutilized, overlooked players, but seem to magically evolve, gain weight, lose weight, get faster, and not only find themselves as conference, all-conference players, but dominant players in the NFL, as, of course, you know, J.J. Watt. But now we're about to get another Watt, who, of course, participated in his pro day at Wisconsin, ran a blazing 4-7, showed off some amazing athletic ability. And, yes, we have another batch of Wisconsin Badger players who, of course, came to Wisconsin unheralded with no very few stars attached to their name, but nevertheless ready, ripe, and anxious to continue the tradition that Wisconsin has produced that you may not be a five-star when you leave, but gosh, talking in addition to a degree, you're going to be a difference maker in the league. Who needs five stars when you're Wisconsin? Who needs them? So, of course, we're going to talk about that. In addition to that, I do want to try to squeeze in talking about other programs who, of course, have also accepted that there is a certain way of doing things and have embraced that philosophy and how they have, of course, have continued to experience success along the way. And if I'm fortunate enough, and if, in fact, I do not get off on a tangent, which is something I often do, I also kind of want to talk about a little basketball and compare it a little bit to football and see if I could marry those two analyses together to try to produce an actual point that I think you guys will be able to actually possibly even agree with. Because in basketball, we have our one-and-done problems or solutions. And, of course, in football, we have our red-shirt freshman, red-shirt sophomore, three years after high school, 
problem or else solution. And I kind of want to look at those particular situations, sprinkle in a little Brian Kelly with a side of Harry Giles Jr., and, of course, then top it off with a little bit of Grayson Allen. So, you know, that's we have a very ambitious schedule that I'm going to try to uh, tackle today. So bear with me. But, of course, like I said today, our topic today is we're going to talk specifically about knowing who you are and accepting it. And I know a lot of times we all want the praise. We all want the accolades. When I was in school, I wanted to be the guy who, of course, got the perfect SAT score. I wanted to be like the young lady who recently got accepted to all eight Ivy League schools, but I had to know who I was. And a lot of times that's one of the biggest struggles that we oftentimes have to tackle in our life is trying to accept and understand and embrace who we are. And with college football programs all across the country, they often find themselves dealing with that problem. My favorite team, the Kansas State Wildcats, in order for them to be good, they had to find and accept who they were. They had to accept that, listen, we are in the middle of the woods. No disrespect to little Manhattan. We are not near any fertile recruiting ground, but we still want to win. Bill Slider who, of course, congratulations, got a clean bill of health and has now returned to practice, accepted the limitations of Kansas State. And in spite of those limitations, he found a way to win and win at a high rate. He went the junior college route. He got the players that many people consider to be too small, like Darren Sproles. He got the players who, of course, many people thought were not playing the right position, and found a way to win with those guys. And then when Bill Snyder left, Ron Prince came to town. And he, of course, tried to change the philosophy. He, of course, believed that he was able to change the way that worked at Kansas State in an effort to bring in more five-star players. Now, of course, it did work when we brought in Josh Freeman, but then after Josh Freeman, everything went downhill because Kansas State is not a program that is able to sustain a high level of success with those guys at the helm because you're not going to get those guys. So it's better for you to focus on player development. It's better for you to focus on the ways that work. And when Bill Snyder came back, winning returned, bowl contention, invites returned, expectations returned. And you see that it has yielded positive results. You will never see Kansas State on anybody's short list who, of course, is a five-star player. You will never see Kansas State in competition with the power five big guns for players because they know who they are. They've accepted it, and they've found ways to thrive in spite of their limitations. And you see examples of that all over the country. Now, one of the examples that I see that, of course, has not worked is we see that Brian Kelly, here I go. I got to stay focused and not go on my tangent. But Brian Kelly 
we know that there's a certain expectation, an academic requirement, a certain standard of excellence that is required for you to not only play football at Notre Dame, but also to be eligible to attend the school. And But still there remains an expectation of winning, which means, of course, you cannot recruit the same caliber of players who, of course, may find themselves going to a state-run institution, which, of course, has lower academic standards. Now, when winning or just going to a bowl and winning nine games is enough, then you know what? They've been able to fare quite well. But we do know that at certain programs, at certain independent schools with boosters of considerable influence, the expectation is that nine wins is not enough. The expectation is that you're going to be able to produce at a national level and be able to compete with these institutions who, of course, have lower academic standards. And, of course, we can always look at Palo Alto and say, hey, Brian Shaw, Jim Harbaugh, they were able to do it at Stanford, so we should be able to do it at Notre Dame. However, we've seen thus far that it seems as if it's not really working. Now, I know you initially said, well, Denmark, they played and contended for a national championship in 2011, but that's when they got exposed. That's when the gap that, of course, everybody conveniently ignored because they saw the 10 wins, they saw the 9 wins, they saw impressive wins over other schools with high academic standards, and they just thought that Notre Dame initially belonged amongst the group of elite programs. But after that game against Alabama, it became quite clear that Alabama is just there, and Notre Dame is a couple of states, or regions, a couple of continents below. And since that point, the gradual decline, the gradual slide, the actual diminishment of relevancy of the Notre Dame program has been quite swift. But unlike Bill Snyder, it seems as if Brian Kelly has yet to be able to determine the actual identity of the Notre Dame program to try to figure out how to thrive in spite of the academic limitations that are placed upon him. The offense, of course, that he runs does require speed, and speed comes from the South. And the South, unfortunately, also unfortunately, very unfortunate to say this because I am also from the South, it's not really a place where there is a plethora of speedsters who also may find themselves qualifying academically to be able to attend an institution like Notre Dame. Then what do you do? You win the nine games. Do you then throw your quarterback, former quarterback, Deshaun Kaiser, under the bus because he's now presented, lets you expose? Expose with now a situation where only you have yourself to play. Knowing who you are is the most important thing, element, or quality that a coach must embrace. Now, the offensive philosophy that, of course, Brian Kelly was able to yield high results with at Cincinnati, that other school that he went to, Central Michigan, it worked out fine. Why? Because the academic standards were much lower. 
The expectations, of course, were obviously much lower. And, of course, you know, he was actually in a place where he could get a couple of speedsters who, of course, were undersized. But, of course, we also know that those same speedsters who may have qualified (coughs) academically to attend Central Michigan (coughs) may have qualified to academically attend Cincinnati uh, may not have been able to academically qualify to attend Notre Dame. So these past three to four years, Notre Dame slide to mediocrity and damn near irrelevant seems to be all but certain. Of course, is why when we hear Brian Kelly espouse his frustration at the fact that his quarterback, who of course made the decision to finally get paid to play and not no longer risk injury for free, has left him exposed. How was this whole situation going to turn out? We know that, of course, Brian Kelly did not become a dummy overnight. He, of course, is more than qualified to do the job, but we also do know that your qualifications also come with you being able to have to decide these tough decisions. So what will Notre Dame be? Stanford, of course, aware of its limitations, relies less on a wide receiver to make a difference in their offense. Relies less on game breakers to be able to make a difference in their offense. Are we going to see Brian Kelly make a similar shift in order to ultimately accept that what worked at Central Michigan with Marcus Ginyard at Cincinnati is not going to work in Notre Dame? Because now the guys who, of course, like like Floyd, like Will Fuller, those guys are going to go to Stanford. As I say in life, as I say in sports, ladies and gentlemen, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we will definitely also see what's up. Now, of course, if another team like I hinted in the start of the show, that it seems to have accepted who they are, embraced who they are, and been unwavering for nearly the last 15 years, and that's the Wisconsin Badgers. Since the days of Bill Alvarez, Bill Alvarez, of course, Coach Alvarez, who came from Miami, realized that Wisconsin was not going to be able to recruit at the level of his former a place of employment in Miami Hurricanes, and he realized that it was necessary for him to embrace his location, embrace the fact that, listen, you're not going to get many guys from Florida to come down to Wisconsin or up to Wisconsin for the Wisconsin cold, where it could get to negative 17, negative 1 degrees, and, you know, when it gets really, really hot, it may actually be 2 to 7 degrees. Choosing not to fight the reality, he embraced the atmosphere to which he was present. He looked around and saw that, you know what, in states like Iowa and states like Wisconsin, I could provide an opportunity for young men who may not have never thought about college, who may have found themselves thinking that they were going to be committed to spending their lives helping their families on their farms or doing some other type of manufacturing job he realized that that was an untapped resource that he'll be able to try to block, get into, and it yielded significant results. 
thus far that if, in fact, you have aspirations of playing in the NFL, and if, in fact, you're six foot seven, six foot six, and a mountain of a man, no longer do you find yourself being disappointed when schools such as Alabama, Ohio State, USC, and Florida State pass you by. You find yourself boasting with state pride, with region pride, when you see that Wisconsin is recruiting you to be the next great offensive lineman for the Wisconsin Badgers. That, of course, brings pride to your town. That, of course, brings pride to your state, your city, your school. And, of course, that provides a wonderful pipeline that thus far has continued to yield tremendous dividends, despite the fact that Alvarez is not even there anymore. I saw a stat that in 2011, the offensive lineman for Wisconsin, which, of course, when I looked at 24-7 sports, was ranked number 40 in the entire country. Their offensive line has a combined NFL salary of $44 million. None of these guys were recruited by the so-called elite programs. None of these guys had their names decorated with stars. But despite that fact, what a recruiting, recruiting story that is to tell. What a way to walk into a young man's room and say, listen, you know, you may not have been recruited by the so-called bigger schools, but check out these salaries of our NFL offensive line. Then, you know, that says a lot. And then that makes it a whole lot easier for you to go down to Florida and find the next Corey Clement running back or find the next dynamic running back who will look at the history of Wisconsin and realize that, shoot, I can run behind that line. I could be the next Ryan Dane. I can run behind that line. I could be the next John Clay. I could run behind that line, and I could be the next – well, you don't want to be the next Monte Ball, but you, you wouldn't mind getting an opportunity to be the next. Ah, Jesus forgot his name. Running back to be drafted in the first round that, of course, went – what's his name? Eric Gordon. There you go. No, Eric Gordon's the guy from Houston. But be the next Gordon, who, of course, is winning the first round to the San Diego Chargers. What a recruiting pitch. What a recruiting pitch to know that you have been pointed out by Wisconsin for a particular reason. And that embracing the philosophy and accepting who you are has continued to yield high dividends. And then when you see that these young players at this particular count right now, Thompson Badger players in the NFL, 16. And, of course, you know the obvious one or two-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year, J.J. Watt. Of course, you know about, of course, you know about Abadarius, who, of course, also didn't really have a long trip to go from college to the pros, but, of course, he went to the Green Bay Packers. But 16 players, 16 players who were unheralded coming out of high school, 16 players who, of course, made a commitment to Wisconsin and made a commitment to changing their bodies, made a commitment to listening to every word from their position coach, trusting and embracing the process, and now they're millionaires. Oh, yeah, and nearly all of them are also college graduates. What a pitch to be able to sell 
to players looking for an opportunity prove their value, prove their worth. And, of course, we can see that it's become like a factory. We've seen it become like a factory in Wisconsin. We've seen that despite the losses, we see despite the offensive limitations, so what they don't have traditionally have a wide receiver that can stretch the field. They're still going to get you 10 wins. So what? They may not have cornerback, had a cornerback drafted in the first round since Jamar Fletcher, which was ages ago, but you know what? They still win. And now what's starting to happen? That recruiting factory, that defense, that, that the philosophy of being able to embrace the process, their ability to be able to get players, develop players, and transform their bodies has also now taken place on the other side of the ball. And when you have something like that happen, for me anyway, I find that to be far more impressive than Nick Saban getting his seventh straight consecutive recruiting class championship because those guys come already ready. Those guys come already prepared as opposed to Wisconsin, as opposed to Kansas State, who looks at a player not for who he is, but looks at a player for who he can be. And that's something that's truly remarkable, to be able to have that type of foresight, to be able to have that type of talent and ability is far more impressive than being able to woo a mom of a five-star recruit. But, you know, the expectation now is there. And because an expectation now is there, you're able to get players who, of course, want to embrace the process. If you get players who, of course, want to listen because they realize that what you're saying and what you're doing and what you're teaching may be able to provide them not only an opportunity to get a college education, but also provide an opportunity for them to be able to provide for their family, not just with a traditional nine-to-five. I'm more than sure that Joe Thomas, I'm more than sure that Zettler, I'm more than sure that all those six, 16 players in the NFL from Wisconsin, they consider the NFL to be a fantasy. But coming to Wisconsin is what made it a reality. Turn to the spring with questions. Of course. You don't lose the amount of talent that they have specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You don't lose Corey Clemens. You don't lose a senior starting quarterback and not enter to the spring with questions. Now, of course, I was supposed to have a guest come on the show, but I don't know if you guys can tell, but your boy Denmark knows can do quite well just on his own. Because when I look at Wisconsin, I do have questions. I do have concerns. I do wonder about the quarterback position. I do wonder about the limitations on Hollybrook, who, of course, showed good, had good moments, but also struggled with areas of inconsistency. But the hope, the prayer is that since traditionally quarterbacks make their biggest leap from their first year as a starter to their second year as a starter, that the improvements will definitely come. He, of course, has to work significantly on his arm strength. He has more of a lofted type of pass and of course, well, does not get there quickly, but, you know, go do some chores, take a nap, and you know what, the ball may finally eventually find itself in their hands. So those are areas that I expect Hollywood to work out. And I truly wonder, you know, if, in fact, we do not see improvements from the quarterback, you know, there is a NFL, not an NFL, 
put a college football quarterback free agent market out there. And, of course, we do know that the last time Wisconsin went that route of a free agent quarterback, you know, it didn't really yield those results. They, of course, had a transfer in Davey O'Brien, who, of course, came from Maryland with a lot of hype, and, of course, he floundered. And I do wonder if Paul Chris will be willing to go that route again. He, of course, was the offensive coordinator when a guy by the name of Russell Wilson became the first quarterback to kind of make that whole free agent quarterback thing vote. But since that experiment with O'Brien failed, I wonder, just wonder, would they consider Malik Zaire? Malik Zaire, who currently right now is finishing up all of his necessary requirements to graduate from Notre Dame and Bay, he, of course, is yet to select a school of where he is going to spend his final year. We know that Harris went to UNC, so UNC is off the table. We do know that Max Brown went to Pittsburgh, so Pittsburgh's off the table. So, you know, Wisconsin's offense really exploded when it had Russell Wilson at the helm. But thus far we have learned that although there may be guys who may be taller, there may be guys who may be supposedly more athletic with stronger arms, that there are just not a lot of Russell Wilsons out there. So I wonder, quarterback has been announced as a starter in the spring. I mean, that Malik Zaire guy can be special, has shown glimpses of being special, and will be a tremendous upgrade for Wisconsin. But again, you know, Wisconsin made the mistake once. Will Paul Chris be willing to take that risk in 2017. In life, as I always say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, another thing that I think is going to be quite interesting to watch is in regards to the Wisconsin Badger players who, of course, are returning from injury. Now, of course, although the defense was definitely impressive last year, dominant, 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 dominant. The thing that's scary is that the defense, of course, thrived despite the absence of Jack Sitchie and Chris Orr, who, of course, were starters, who, of course, were doing their damn thing before suffering injuries. Now, with these guys now back in the fold, it's going to be very interesting to see how the defense makes its adjustments. Now, a lot was made about the revolving door of assistant coaches at Alabama, about the revolving door of assistant coaches at Ohio State. But the attrition in regards to the staff at Wisconsin has kind of gone largely ignored, as in the third year of Paul Chris's tenure at Wisconsin, they're having to place another defensive coordinator. Paul Chris has been there three years. Each year they have another defensive coordinator. And this year, of course, Will Cox, took the job, head coaching job at Cal, and now they brought in the former defensive back at Wisconsin, the defensive back coach at Wisconsin prior to getting a promotion, Brian Leonard. Of course, we remember him from his days with the New York Jets, you know, the white guy in the secondary. But 
how is this offensive defensive philosophy going to be? We have 18 days in Wisconsin until the spring game, 18 days until we're able to finally get some answers in regards to how is this new defense going to look. Thus far, we've seen that year in and year out during the Paul Chris era that the defense has continued to thrive and not miss with little drop-offs. And so I'm very intrigued to see what happens with Brian Leonard. And also another thing that I'm very intrigued to see that happens with Wisconsin is we know that initially that Brett Bielema left Wisconsin because of the low pay. And I just wonder is it would be hard for programs with deeper pockets who will be more than willing to pay not only a head coach a considerable amount of money and also his staff a considerable amount of money. I wonder, you know, everybody has a price, but we we have to be naive to think that everybody doesn't have a price because, for me, I, I, I just think that, of course, after Brian Kelly likely gets fired, if Kevin Sumlin likely gets fired, if other fire, expected firings take place across the country. After you call Nick Saban, after you call Urban Meyer, you, you will be kind of foolish not to call Paul Christ. And if, in fact, you call Paul Christ, I mean, I know that he is born and bred in Wisconsin, has roots in Wisconsin, has family in Wisconsin, but, you know, everybody has a price. And if Notre Dame comes calling, which, of course, obvious limitations, which, of course, we spoke on previously during the show, and they back that branch truck up, you telling me that Paul Chris is going to say no? You telling me that Wisconsin is going to finally open up the bank? Well, we know. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> Wisconsin is not going to open up the bank. And I know for – Entering into this season, they have a very, very easy schedule. Of course, they do have to go uh, play games at Iowa, and they have to play games at Michigan. But nevertheless, success can sometimes be its worst enemy. And I truly wonder, although, of course, Barry Alvarez and Wisconsin and the athletic director at Wisconsin are definitely satisfied with the level of success that uh, Paul Chris has been able to produce at, you have to also question and concern and ask yourself, want him to be successful, but just 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 don't bring too much attention. Don't don't bring too much attention. Because as the team continues to thrive and you continue to lose defensive coordinators who get head coaching jobs who of course are making more money than you I mean I'm just saying. Everybody got a price. But, of course, as I say in life, we have uh, 148 days until Wisconsin's first game of the 2017 college football season, and I can't wait. And I'm more than sure that you can't wait either. So what else we got on topic? Like I said before, ambition. I'm going to try to be the tide that binds. Now, of course, we do know that March Madness recently happened. And we know, of course, after a champion is crowned, at that particular time, players often make their announcements, of course, of if, in fact, they're going to declare for the draft. And 
finally get an opportunity to finally get paid for the blood, sweat, and tears that they've exerted since middle school, since elementary, since flag football, since AAU ball. And I know that we focus specifically on this show about college football, but bear with me. So Harry Giles Jr., who was the projected number one pick in the draft at the start of the college basketball season, who, of course, suffered two debilitating knee injuries prior to even getting to Duke, who, of course, only averaged 1.2 points a game and only got 12 minutes in the entire NCAA tournament and ACC tournament combined, he announced that he was going to declare. And although, of course, his stock is at an all-time low, I saw that people were had nothing but ill things to say about this young man. And I, for one, have never characterized myself to be a Duke lover or a lover of all things Duke, more of a critic or a hater, I guess you could say. But nevertheless, that being the case, to myself, this young man played, played for free. Everybody made money off of him from the AAU coaches, from Duke, from high school coaches, all getting their cut. And along the way, this guy suffered two knee injuries that probably limited what his offensive potential could likely could have been if, in fact, he had found a way to survive all of the wear and tear for free and made it to finally being able to declare for the draft. And it made me think specifically about Brian Kelly. And it made me think about the comments that Brian Kelly made where he said that Deshaun Kaiser should not have declared for the draft, that he should have stayed at Notre Dame. And I bind these two unique situations because oftentimes when you really look deep, they're actually quite similar. Why, you may say? Well, you know, Deshaun Kaiser survived this season. He had with a couple bumps and bruises along the way, but he survived. And finally granted an opportunity where he can actually get paid to play to find by his coach, who of course is likely to lose his job because Deshaun Kaiser had an opportunity, had the audacity to finally look out for himself an opportunity that Harry Giles Jr. didn't have, an opportunity that Harry Giles Jr. was unfortunate enough to have robbed from him by misfortune, by poor surgeons. Harry Giles lost millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And, of course, you know, Deshaun Kaiser may have lost some money declaring now, but at least he has millions of dollars ahead of him. And it just made me think about the one-and-done rule. And it made me think about how young men have to wait three years after they graduate from high school to be able to finally get paid to play. It's like they have to be pimped by so many people before they can finally earn their own keep. And it's quite startling. And I'm happy that Harry Giles Jr. did declare for the draft because at the end of the day, you got to get something, right? Something is better than nothing. And it may be possible that 
after he never, ever fulfills his tremendous potential. But, hey, do you blame him for trying to get something for it? I mean, he already lost the number one draft pick. He already lost two. He's already lost two good knees. Did you blame him for trying to get something? Because no more is it apparent about someone who should have left but didn't leave and now is staying than the same guy in the same locker room talking about Grayson Allen, who, when he should have left, would have been a lottery pick and now is likely to probably not even get drafted in the first round. You got to get why to get in is good. College is great. But there comes a point when you have to realize that the college is going to do what's best for them. And it's important for you to also ensure that you always think about what's best for you. Of course, I wish Harry Giles Jr. nothing but the best. I pray that he doesn't have any more debilitating injuries. I pray that he has a steady recovery. And I pray that he has an opportunity to try to recapture his athletic ability and recapture all the money that he lost at the hands of everybody else who made money off of him. Did I do a good job of tying of the tying those binds together? Now, of course, you know, as I bring this show to a close, I like to encourage you. Check out your boy Denmark's Instagram. I'm on Countdown to Kickoff with the number two. In addition to that, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Continue to check out the insights from your boy Denmark. One of the things in life, like I said in the show, you have to know who you are. And once you accept you who you are, then at that particular point you can thrive. Bill Snyder did it. The Wisconsin sports program did it with their football team and their basketball team. The Sean Kaiser, Harry Giles Jr. did it. And I'm more than sure that if Jerryson Allen could have had a second chance, he would have did it too. Thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.